Welcome to the EFCA West podcast. I'm Tim Jacobs, District Superintendent of EFCA West and your host for today's podcast. Now today, we are going to talk about the amazing opportunity of military chaplaincy. This is an absolutely vital ministry and one that has huge untapped potential as far as I'm concerned, especially when it comes to making an impact with people all over the world of every different color and creed and and nationality and belief system and background and everything else. You know, we we talk about evangelism all the time in, in church and we say, oh, you know, we got to be reaching people and everything else. What we're going to talk about today, what I'm going to talk about with our two guests today is one of the most strategic ways that it can be done. And there may, may be somebody and some of you out here that might be wondering, you know, could I ever do that? Could I actually ever serve in the military, either as active duty or part-time capacity? Or there may be young people in your church who are like, you know, maybe they're kind of missions-minded and have a heart for ministry, but would really do well in a military environment. And it's just that a lot of people don't really know about what this actually looks like. So what you need to know is that in EFCA West, because this podcast is about the men and women of EFCA West and the amazing things that they are doing in all of the ministry that's happening. And we talk about all kinds of leadership issues and everything else. But EFCA West has some really great military chaplains who are also pastoring full-time in their churches. And they are my guests today. So I want to welcome to the EFCA West podcast, Ethan Hedberg of Ambassador Church in Orange County and Michael Callahan of Covina Evangelical Free Church in Covina, California. So gentlemen, how are we doing today? Great to be here. Thanks for having us, Tim. Yeah, thank you so much, Tim. Excited to be here. Well, you know, we'll start with you, Michael. So tell us first, um, what branch of the military are you in? How long have you been in? And, you know, where do you where do you serve? What do you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I am in the Army Reserve, and um, I have the privilege of uh, serving the 304th Special Troops Battalion. Uh, we're in uh, Riverside, California, and I've been in the Army altogether for a little under four years really grateful to Ethan, who uh, helped me uh, kind of think through this process and, and mentored me a lot as I was uh, thinking and praying about it. And also uh, another chaplain in the EFCA, Paul Kim, who who really just kind of showed me the way as far as the Army is concerned. Great. So, uh, and you, so you're in Riverside. So where in Riverside are you at? So we drill out of March Air Reserve Base. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's over on the 215 and the 60 freeway, and it's it's a massive place. And if you're anywhere in kind of the Inland Empire, you probably know about it. But if you're kind of outside of that area, outside of California, or even in a lot of California, it's one of those places that you kind of easily miss. So, um, so Ethan, tell us about tell us about you. What what branch? Uh, how long you been in? And you know what unit are you? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm with the, I'm in the Air Force. So from that, the Air National Guard. So that's the reserve, uh, the guard component of the reserves. And uh, I've been in it 11 years now, and I'm also at March Air Reserve Base. So um, Mike is just right outside the gate on the other side. I'm right inside the base, but we're, we're drilled drill at the same place, and uh, I'm part of the 163rd Attack Wing. Yeah. And are, now you are what they call the wing chaplain over there. Isn't that right? That's right. So yep, you're like the, the head chaplain. haunt. Yeah, you're the head haunt. Yeah, chaplain. sort of. Yeah, I've been doing that for about three years or so. And uh, it's it's different role. You know, I came in as a captain, as a staff chaplain. And, uh, you know, if you're in the reserves and you spend your time there, you eventually keep moving up. And 
Yeah, right now I'm the, the wing chaplain for the base. And I should say, full disclosure, I myself am in the uh, uh, Air Force Reserve as a chaplain as well. I spent six years, my first duty assignment at March Air Reserve Base as well. So I was actually driving out from Arizona once a month. And I remember, Ethan, like you and I met like 11 years ago or 12 years, maybe even longer than that. And then I never saw you again. And then one day we bumped into each other in uniform at March Air Reserve Base. <laughs> we did. I was walking across the stage. Uh, I just gave a invocation benediction and was walking across the stage and you were coming on. Your, yours was the next group. And I did that kind of double take like, is that? That's not. Couldn't be. There's no way. What's he doing we didn't, here? We didn't know about that, about each other. Yeah. Yeah, so it was like the coolest thing. But so you're, but you're on the guard side, and I am on the Air Force Reserve side. And so exactly. there's some. So we don't, we didn't really cross paths a whole lot. But it's interesting that all three of us at one time drill at the same base, but in different capacities. You know, Michael, you being in the Army, and then and then Ethan in the and the Air National Guard for California, and then uh, myself in the Air Force, and so. It's kind of like March Air Reserve Base is one of those places when you think about like the when you think about the reserves, at least on the Air Force side of things, you know, in Southern California, if you're a regular reservist or in the guard and you're doing that once a month thing, there's a good chance you're probably doing it at March. There is a good chance. A lot of people go through there. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's interesting too, uh, you know, on, on your side of the fence, it's, you know, guarded, there's people outside on our side of the fence, they'll just let anyone in, you know, so we're, we're sort of, you know, the uh, redheaded stepchild of the uh, air reserve base over there. They let us play on, on the outskirts there. But you guys are the army. So you kind of, anyway, you kind of love that anyway, right? Yeah. We, we like crawling the dirt anyways, you know, we don't get to play with any of the fun toys like that. Well, yeah, that's like, that's your thing. But, and we'll talk, we'll talk a little bit about that because there are distinctions and a lot of people don't really necessarily know, but the first question, I'll throw this at you, Ethan, that, you know, kind of asking this, like what, cause to kind of clear the fog for us, cause people here, they, you know, they, we, and so a lot of people have had some kind of connection with the military, but it's kind of foggy when you get past just maybe what you see in the movies. So, um, first of all, what is a military chaplain anyway? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very similar to being a pastor of the church. What I, I always say, it's it's you take the best parts of pastoral ministry and dress it up in camouflage, and that's a chaplain. Um, you know, we, we do a lot of the same things um, that a pastor would do. We preach, you know, we do uh, uh, weddings, we do funerals, that kind of thing. We do counseling. So you have all of that, but then there's this other side, too, where you are you're working for the commander. You are reporting on morale. You're helping the commander with ethical uh, and moral decisions. Um, you know, kind of, you're on a, a staff like that, um, giving leadership to others. And so, for me, you know, on my side too, and I'm a wing chaplain, so now I have a team of of six or eight that I'm, you know, managing as well. And so, there's um, there's a lot of components, but really, we're you know, we're we're there for our our military members to provide them spiritual care and pastoral care, but we're also there just for that, um, their, their freedom, uh, you know, for expressing the religious, um, you know, values or lack thereof too. So, you know, we minister to all troops, whether they're Christian or, or religious or not at all. Yeah. Michael, how about you? How would you describe this job? Well, I, I think that Ethan described it really well, but I would add to it, you know, one of the dimensions that I've learned a lot about and, um, 
that, that has been just so helpful for me as a, as a solo pastor is uh, there's a staff officer side to this. And so uh, you're definitely a pastor in the, in the army, insofar as you're uh, shepherding people, regardless of their creed, regardless of their confession or lack thereof, as Ethan pointed out, but you're also really uh, advising the commander. And so in the army, we talk about the three core competencies that we have to have, uh, and that's nurturing the living, caring for the wounded and honoring the dead. But another part of that is the advisory role. That is that we help the commander as far as issues of ethics, morals, and morale is concerned. And so the better we are as staff officers, the more credibility we have. And then that really translates over to the civilian role, um, you know, in, in, in helping us be better pastors. But as far as the chaplain's concerned, you know, it, it's, it's such a wonderful privilege to be able to be on the front lines and what I liken it to is, is, is really, you're a pastor, but you get to go to your church uh, rather than asking your church to come to you. Mm, yeah, that's a huge part of it. The other thing too, and you guys both touched on this, so there's the ministry component, and then there's like the professional officer component. And I knew none of that when I first called you know, and I just kind of grouped everybody in. So, so if you're a chaplain, you are an officer and that is kind of in the military uh, services. That's more of the leadership role. I mean, there's leadership up and down no matter where you are in the military, but specifically uh, it, it is about, you know, looking at the mission, evaluating the mission, not necessarily so much the, the execution of the mission. So when you talk about advising commanders, what I found fascinating is that the military really understands that everyone's got their lane, right? You've got your specialty and like, this is what you do. And you're expected to be like the best of everyone in, you know, like, you know, so as chaplains, like, okay, well, your lane is religious stuff. I mean, everything to do with freedom of religion and understanding how faith uh, integrates with the mission. So when the commander doesn't necessarily study that stuff. So when they, when there's an issue, they go to you and they expect you to, to tell them what is allowed and what should be done. And that's a, that's a, that can be a really big deal. Well said. And, you know, it's, it's interesting if I could just interject here, there's, there's, there's several times where, you know, um, as in my advisory role as a chaplain, uh, I've spoken into, and I've tried to do it very, uh, very humbly, but also to inform my commander of the fact that, hey, there, sir, there, there's some some massive implications to the decision that you're going to make here. Um, or, you know, I, I have my pulse on the morale of the uh, of the troops, sir. You know, may, may I speak into this? And, um, you know, when we were deployed this last year during Ramadan, um, we were uh, supplying basically the beans and the bullets to the warfighters. That's what we did. We're a sustainment brigade, and so we need to get supplies out to the warfighter. But I don't think that um, the staff have really thought about the logistical aspects of Ramadan and uh, what that uh, had as far as the implications on the uh, country that we were in. And so it was helpful to be able to, to just tell, you know, the commander, hey, sir, you know, we might not be able to even move, you know, as far as some of our uh, uh, trucks are concerned, you know, some of the things might be shut down. And so um, the advisory role is not just about ethics. It's also about the impact of religion um, or lack thereof on uh, the troops that you're serving as well as the area in which you're serving. Yeah. So you guys have both been to seminary. You both got your MDivs and here you are, you're 
you know, you could have just done what most people do, which is great, which is say, you know what, I'm just going to commit to a local church and pastor there. And, and that's what I'm going to do. I mean, we all know that pastoral ministry in and of itself uh, is you just wear so many hats, even in that job alone. So certainly that is plenty to do to take up your entire life. Why did you decide in the midst of pastoral ministry to do, and not even active duty, but to do this at, as, as on the side? Like what, what drew you into the military? Ethan, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, that it's a long story, uh, obviously, um, with a lot of components. But, you know, just on, on the basic, like, you know, I was an outreach pastor here at Ambassador back then. Uh, so this is, you know, 2008, you know, there was a, a, a recession and, you know, churches got hit by that. I remember having the conversation with my senior pastor, like, hey, you, you may not, we may not be able to employ you after June, you know, depending on how this all goes. So it, it made me, you know, one kind of like, okay, what's my, you know, wh- what I have back there, if this falls through, what, what are the options? Um, and I'm just thinking like, I'm going to work at Starbucks or whatever. I mean, that's, that's where I was shooting for. Um, I was certainly was not looking for the military, but the side, you know, on the side of that, I'm the outreach pastor and I, I'm looking at my life and I just don't have a lot of non-Christians in my life. Um, a lot of my family is Christians. My neighbors were Christians and, uh, on, so it goes. And so, uh, just kind of like, how do I get, you know, more into, um, where non-Christians are at. And then too, if this pastor thing doesn't work out, you know, financially, like what's the backup for that? So that was kind of my motivation, um, just some of the things I was thinking about, but I still hadn't put it together with the military. And so, you know, one thing led to another, we had an army recruiter, you know, kind of come into the church and have some conversations and it was intriguing, but I realized for me, you know, that wasn't a fit. And then um, because of that, we, our pastor said, Hey, let's, let's look at the, you know, the, the um, air force, the air guard, and just see what they have to option. Maybe it's a good option for some of you guys. And so we had the recruiter come and that just started this process. It took about a year for me to kind of say, you know, this is what I want to do, or I want to take this step. Uh, But it was me kind of working it through with the Lord. I mean, on the funny side, like I was in band in high school. And when I got out of band my junior year, I'm like, I am never wearing another uniform again. You know, I had enough of those band uniforms. And so it's funny enough, but when I looked at the military, I'm like, I I don't want to wear a uniform. I don't want to do that. But, um, and so that was my internal conflict, right? Not like what's it going to take away from the church or anything like that. It was just, I don't want to wear a uniform. Yeah. And uh, I remember, you know, there was this day I had the EFCA youth pastors from around the nation. They were at our church. Uh, we were having some meetings and uh, I led the devotion that morning. And just at the end, I'm, I'm ready to pray and hand it off, you know, for the rest of the meeting. And, but one of the pastors says, hey, can we just take a minute and see what the Lord, if, see if the Lord is speaking to anybody? which is funny. That's not normally done in our circles. Um, but you know, everybody said, yeah, let's do that. And it was at that moment where I don't say this easily. I don't say this a lot, but like, that's where the Lord spoke to me. Um, and it was just this, like the Lord's voice just saying, what are you waiting for? Just, just do this. I put this in front of you, you know, you need to do this. I'm calling you to this. So, um, that's all it took. I, from that point I went, I signed my papers and I was in, so um, I wish I had done this years ago, but just mm. with the Lord's timing, I mean, that was my process and um, it, I, I was just so thrilled. So it kind of started with this, like, how am I going to care for me and my family? 
And it led to this, you know, the Lord really speaking into this and making it so clear that he was directing me this way. What I love about that story is that it wasn't like this was a culmination of years of you, you know, going out and like playing with GI Joes when you were a kid and like going out and running around the, you know, camp, you know, being out in the wilderness and like pretending that you were this person or pretend like, like a lot of young guys do who end up going into the army. It's like, well, my whole life or there, you know, some branch of the military, my whole life I've wanted to do this. And, you know, and so I think a lot of people can hear, can feel like, well, you know, that's just not me. I, that there's nothing in me that has, has done this or thought about this up to this point, but your journey was kind of side door, just kind of thinking about, well, what, you know, you mentioned the evangelistic part, the mission, the missionary part of it, the, the potential of even needing an income and then you just kind of fell into it and then through that you 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 did put the uniform on and you got good at it and now it's it's a part of your life yeah that's right and and uh, just seeing the lord's hand um hindsight was there from the whole you know from the beginning all the way through yeah you don't always see that at the beginning yeah and i i think that's important to know because it's i think we we tend to say well i'm this type of person i'm i'm that type of person and it's like well no, I, I, I've seen in the military what, and I had a, a, a buddy of mine who was in for a long time and, and he said, you know, the military, and he was kind of mentoring me when I was getting in and he said, the military is a, is a cross section. It's like a parallel universe. It's a, you, if every segment of society that you have in the civilian world, you have in the military in some way or another. I mean, obviously there's the physical requirements and there's some other things, but almost any type of person, you know, there's, there's a spot for, and, and so not everybody, you know, it's, it's not the typical stereotypical thing of like, Oh, you know, I want to go out into battle and that sort of thing. Like I've wanted that all my life. So, you know, it's, it's something to consider. Um, there are other reasons then, or maybe the other things pulling you that you may not even realize. So, yeah. So, so Mike, how about you? What was, uh, what, what got you in? Yeah. So I think a lot of this was a desire to put my money where my mouth was, as far as, um, encouraging my congregation, Hey, you really need to share your faith. I mean, I looked around um, very similar to the, what Ethan said, I, I looked around in all my circles, they had a ton of Christians in it, which is awesome. I had great brotherhood and great fellowship, but I wasn't really involved in circles where there were people who were just either um, uh, not expressing any faith or outright hostile to it. And so um, I had a, a, a young person in my congregation who joined the Marines. And when he got back from uh, boot camp, right before he went to uh, his advanced individual training, he said, you know, you, you really make a good chaplain. And I thought, that's, that's crazy. I, I, I can't leave this. I can't leave my job, this church and my family. And then I, I went and looked and I thought, oh, my goodness, I could do this as a reserve chaplain. And uh, I remember vividly coming to my wife. And she said, you know, don't do this. You're having a quarter life crisis. You know, I mean, this is nuts, you know? And, uh, and I said, listen, I'm not going to take one step forward unless you and the elders at my church are not just okay with it, but fully endorsing it. And the Lord really spoke to her heart. Um, there wasn't really a breakthrough moment, but I do remember one morning she came um, with sort of just this exuberance about her in the morning. And she said, I really think you should do this. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, wait, do are you sure? And she said, yeah, I really think you need to do this because it was after uh, trying to understand what you can do in the military and how you can reach out to people. What drew her and, and what was originally drawing me was the fact that you are going to people rather than asking people to come to you. 
And when I finally brought it up to my elders, because, hey, I, I don't want to do one thing without them fully endorsing it. Both of them are, are, are vets. And, uh, and they said, absolutely. I mean, this is something that is a logical extension of what you as a pastor do. And that was such a beautiful thing. It, it, it goes hand in hand with my church ministry. Yeah, that is a that's a beautiful thing when you go through that angst and you guys both described it of like there wasn't like it was clear at the beginning. There was a pull. There was things, things that started to make sense. And then there was that moment that yeah. just kind of pushed you that direction. And I love the fact that both of you emphasized evangelism as uh, as as something that you said, hey, I, I feel like. Because it's hard when you're a pastor. I mean, I mean, yes, we, we hopefully our churches are, are places where non-believers are coming, and we know that. But we and, and we have a we kind of get to be uh, the kind of people that obviously you know we're preaching in a way that they're those those folks are coming. They're in the room. And we can talk to them. But the actual relationships that we are asking our congregation to have are harder a lot of times for us if we're not in other auxiliary environments outside the church. Yeah, I, I've had so many deep and meaningful conversations with the military, probably more than I've had in the church when it comes to like just true evangelism. You know, in my office in the church, you know, I do a lot of counseling with people in the church, right? And there's sometimes people come with some faith issues, but in my military office, it's it's like the opposite. It's almost always, you know, some some real genuine faith struggle. Um, whether it's about um, uh, Christ or, you know, some elements of the faith, whatever. So these things have been um, very consistent with um, with my time in the military, just having these real genuine uh, faith-filled and uh, gospel-centered conversations. So I want to lean into that a little bit. You guys both, uh, and um, Mike, you've, you're in, you've been in for four, you said four years? Yes, yeah. So four years and then ETH a little longer. But what so far is that would you describe how what's the impact been like that, that you feel like you've been able to have? Michael, how about you? Well, that's such a great question. I, I think, you know, I can picture it almost uh, frame it rather around, you know, Psalm 23. When I was younger and uh, reading that verse, I always thought at the conclusion, you know, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I always thought that meant, you know, hey, that's in front of me. You know, I'm, I'm running to it. God is going to give me goodness and mercy. But I, I think a better reading of that is that wherever I am, when I leave, goodness and mercy should be there. You know, in other words, you know, there should be some sort of intangible quality about the, the, places that that I am at, not because of who I am, but because of what I represent. And um, I can tell you that on the deployment, when that's all I did, you know, was was be a chaplain, I was relieved for a season from my pastoral duties. And I was a full time chaplain, there would be people who would say, I, I just am so glad that you you come around. And it wasn't simply because of the smile. And it wasn't simply because of clever words that I could put together. Uh, although I think that that's sort of your entree into these relationships. I think more of it had to do with the fact that I was representing the holy. And uh, there's something um, there's something peculiar about that, especially in the environment uh, like the armed forces, regardless of the branch. It's just not known for being a happy you know, a place filled with goodness and mercy. But I think the most impactful thing I, I <laughs> We lived in, basically lived in and did 
our uh, whole deployment in this very, very um, uh, crude, you know, sort of tent that was, uh, we had rats everywhere. The snakes would come in to get the rats. It was dirty and gross. And, you know, Ethan, you're smiling, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, it's not, um, it's not a vacation they send you on, but I'll tell you, I wanted to take my boots off at one point in the counseling session because the, the, the place on which I was standing was holy ground. And, and, and that was a conversation that I had with a young man who was struggling with addiction and struggling with anger and bitterness and just being lost. And he talked about uh, his upbringing and some moral injury that he had suffered as a result of being, um, you know, just at this camp that was just so filled with discipline and it's filled with just this lack of grace, this legalism and release, helping him and the spirit releasing him from that. And, and seeing him anew see the gospel and the beauty of Christ, it was like, okay, I need to take off my sin. I, I, I need to take off my shoes. This is holy ground. You know, this office in a tent where there's rats running around and it's disgusting has transformed into the holy of holies because God is here and he's at work. You know, Stephen Mansfield wrote a book called Faith of the American Soldier, he wrote that in another book called Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and it's great. Um, he's just a great author and does a lot of speaking on on a lot of different topics. But he he was talking. You mentioned the visible reminder of the holy, and that's one of the other aspects of the chaplain and the the role the chaplain plays. And we don't realize that because you know, you're just like, oh, I'm me. I'm a sinful guy. And thankfully I'm a pastor. And then you put this uniform on that has a cross on it and people look at you and they see something and not everybody, but a lot of people do, as you were saying, especially in difficult environments like that. But one of the points that he makes in the book is that during when the Iraq war, I think it was back in, I mean, it was early on when the whole Abu Ghraib thing happened. And remember that terrible thing where they were putting the prisoners, they, they, they were putting them like they put collars on them and they were dragging them around like dogs and they were mistreating them. But what he made the point is when the chaplains would go into that prison, the behavior of the troops would change and they wouldn't do those things in the mere presence of the chaplain because the presence of the chaplain called them to something greater in that moment. And I always thought that was, that was powerful to, to read that. Wow. That's deep. Absolutely. Absolutely. People even stop cursing in front of you or if they do slip, you know, and say something, Oh, I'm sorry, chap. And there's something beautiful about that. Not because we're too holy to hear that, but because of what we represent. And it's funny because I think that, that a lot of chaplains, they, well, there's some chaplains that try too hard to be like everybody else. And so they let, they let their language slip or they say things. And it's like, that's not what the troops want necessarily. I mean, they want to know you're a real person, but they also like, is there, there's somebody around here that's going to be like representing something greater in us. And I, I do sense that, that they look for that and, and hopefully, hopefully they can find it in, in you. I think you're, you're totally right. And that, you know, there's so much, so many times where you're just like, we want to be like them. We want to, you know, want them to, you know, um, consider us one of their own, but there's, I mean, I've heard it too so many times, like, no, I, I need you as a chaplain to be different. I need you to be who you are and who God has called you to, not not who the guys want you to be. So there really is something true to that. So Ethan, well, I mean, what about you? What you've been in for eleven years? What have yeah. you? What's been the impact that you've as you in your journey so far? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a hard uh, question to answer, not because there's not a lot to say, because there's so much to say, really. Uh, I, you know, my mind flashes to all these different conversations throughout um, these years. But, you know, um, probably as well as, as like Michael said, you know, I was deployed as well um, this last year. And uh, when I left, there's a lady in our church who uh, gave me a, a devotional for dads to their fathers and um, or to their children, I guess. And she told me, she says, you are going to be the answer to so many moms and dads prayers. You know, you're going to be like their mom and dad there in the deployment. You know, they're not going to be there. So they need to look to you. And I, I thought that was a, a cute thing to say, you know, but when I'm there and I started counseling and meeting with these people, one, I'm like, they could be my son, like literally, you know, ages, you know, could work out. So I am like a father to them. And um, just being able to have that place where I can have these conversations with them um, was, was pretty amazing. And I thought that many times, like I am, you know, there's moms and dads back home that are praying for their kids and the Lord has chosen me to be there with them during this time. Um, but one of the things that I, I do think about as well, like Michael, you're talking about, you know, holy ground. Um, we had a, a situation on deployment where we had um, someone who was uh, killed on base or died on base. And, um, but there were some witnesses and there were these two army guys, these two young, I mean, they were probably 18, 19 years old and they had witnessed it. And um, I, I got there really quickly and they said, Hey, there's some, you know, a couple of guys that you need to talk to that witnessed it. And um, like, how, how do you start that? What do you do? You know, in a conversation like that, they just witnessed someone die and um, you know, being able to sit with these guys um, you know, you're, it's such, there's nothing that's more real than that moment. And uh, I remember one of the guys just saying like, how many times do we have to see someone die like this? And it, it just occurred to me, like, this is a different, like these guys have seen so much at such an early age, you know, who's here to care for them and their souls, you know, to pray for them and, and just minister to them in these really tough times. And again, it was like that image, like the Lord put me to be that, um, you know, person in their life during that time. And so it's just, there's just so many examples of like, of this with just young, young people. And you're, you're there in these very real uh, situations in their life, just to, to be with them, sit with them, cry with them, hold them, um, you know, just be there. So um, there's, there's a lot of situations that I look back and just, there's a lot of impact, um, impactful stories during this time. Wow. Goes back to what Mike was saying about we, this is something that lets you go to them, you know, right. and, and I'm a big believer and, you know, I, I love the come and see model in church. And I think we need to invite people to come and see what worship looks like, what, what our community looks like, our faith community. But, but this is so missional. Like it's so just straight up raw. I mean, stock missional. It is. And you're, you're able to talk to people that wouldn't necessarily come to church and they certainly wouldn't come to a church and talk to a pastor, but yet you're talking to them in a hangar or in an office or on the flight line or wherever it is about real things. And so you are, you know, able to go to them and, um, kind of, yeah, I mean, it's that, um, 
that presence, you know, of the holy, you get to be that um, to them in their lives. So it's, it's a really, it's a, it's a unique honor. One of the questions that people ask oftentimes when they look at military chaplains and they see what's going on in the world and, you know, now there's obviously in the news, there's a lot of, um, you know, criticism about even now in the military in terms of going woke and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, the question is, if I go into, if I go into the military as a chaplain, am I going to be limited? Am I going to be limited in what I can say and what I can do? And people are afraid. And I think rightly so. There's a concern. I'm like, I, I don't want to compromise my beliefs. I don't want to be in a situation where I feel like I have to hide what I truly believe. And, and, you know, there's, and there's, and you'll read, you'll read. Sometimes I've read stuff that's come across certain news websites of a story about a chaplain who was silenced or, or reprimanded or whatever, because, because they couldn't do this or couldn't do that. And, but I wanted to ask you guys in, based on your experience, have you felt that you can freely exercise your faith as a chaplain with a clear conscience? I mean, what's been your experience in that whole thing? Yeah, I, no question. I, I've never felt like I've had a compromise. I think there's a it, one. I think branches are different, right? Um, there's there's different situations. Um, but where I'm at in my in my wing, I've never felt um, like I've had to compromise. In fact, uh, you know, one of the things with chaplains, like we have endorsers. Um, basically, it's another a group outside the military who will endorse us as as chaplains. And so my endorser is the EFCA, Evangelical Free Church. So Phil Wright is our endorser. And really what they're doing is they're saying, this is a, a chaplain who has gone through our process. You know, he's on good standings with our denomination and we're putting him on loan to the military. Um, but he cannot do anything that, you know, the EV, EFCA doesn't endorse or is not okay with. And so um, there's you know, um, there's times where it's like, oh, you know, how am I going to handle this? Well, I call up Phil and say, here's a situation, you know, you know, tell me no, and I won't do it or tell me, yes, I can. And, and we'll go forward. And so you have this backing, um, whenever there's a, a tricky situation. And, uh, you know, the thing is, if, if, uh, Phil and our, my endorser said, no, you can't do that. And then that's the end of the story. Like, no, there's no one to argue that. Uh, and that's just the situation. And so, because of that, you know, I've never had a, a situation that I've, um, I've, I felt I had to compromise. Now I'm wise. I got to be careful, you know, on, on when, when I push it and when I don't, but, um, you know, do I pray in Jesus name, you know, in this situation or not, or, you know, how do I do that? There's, there's a whole lot of tact, you know, and some wisdom that goes into that. But, you know, the short story is like, no, I've, I've always felt like I can be a hundred percent me all the time in the military. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I felt the same way. I, I, I've never felt muzzled. Um, and I think a lot of it though has to do with, um, credibility. Um, and the fact that you, 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 I think so much of it has to do with perceived goodwill. So, so often people forget it, it doesn't really matter how, uh, rhetorically gifted you are. It doesn't really matter how uh, well you can turn a phrase but if people don't think that you care about them, they're not going to listen to your message and they might even impugn bad motives on you. And so for me, the goodwill was regardless of creed, regardless of confession, regardless of orientation, I cared for those people 
all in my unit because I, I believe that fundamentally they're made in the image of God. So when it came to public events, I said, I'm going to pray according to my conviction. Now, just as Ethan said so well, I, I was always very tactful. I tried to be uh, mindful, uh, but I never felt like, oh, I, I had better pray like this because this person won't like it. Uh, in fact, it was just the opposite. I remember uh, my 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 commanders uh, begging me, hey, Jeff, would you mind ending this meeting with prayer? And uh, one time, it was a very spiritual moment. Um, I had lost a soldier and uh, it, it, our unit had just uh, was experiencing just a profound sense of loss. And my commander said, everyone, let's gather around chap. Let's pray for him because he's always lifting us up. Let's lift him up. And I, I was in tears because that's not supposed to happen, quote unquote. You know, we hear all these horror stories, but I thought, you know what? This is a, this is another instance of the fact that God is at work. You, you know, you said that so well, and this is what people, these are the stories people need to hear because these are the things that really, they really do happen. And I think it has a lot to do with nuance. It has a lot to do with your EQ. When I've come across chaplains or even I've read a couple of people, I couldn't do it because, you know, they wanted me to do X and Y or whatever. And I realized I don't think these guys would be successful in, in a lot of different industries, no matter what they are, because their whole mindset is, well, it needs to be the way I want to do it. And I, I think about it like this. We all wear uniforms and we have crosses on our uniforms. Show me another industry. Like you, you can't walk into Google with a cross on your shirt and walk into a board meeting and be asked to pray before the meeting starts. Like that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen in like any any company that you can think of, you know, Procter and Gamble or Facebook or you know any industry, some engineering firm. They're not going to start their meeting and go, all right, before we start, we're going to have you know this guy over here, and you got a cross on the on the, your button down shirt. It's just that's not going to happen, and 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 it happens in the military, and it's like that happens all the time in the military. It does, and I you know I feel like I'm a I'm a missionary you know, in the military. And, um, you know, and I think that's kind of how our church sees it. At least I hope, you know, that, that I get to go somewhere and represent Christ where nobody else can go. And, um, but you know, the government, you know, they support it, you know, and, um, you know, going back to your, your point, Michael, too, and, and some of the, like the stories, I remember one of my young, um, early mentoring moments, you know, we were, I was given a, it was like roll call, you know, all the, the whole squadrons there. And I'm, they say, chaplain, give us a, you know, something to think about, you know? So I gave a great little uh, talk and, you know, something about resiliency or whatever, and um, felt good about it. And afterwards, my wing commander or my wing chaplain at the time says, Hey, can I talk to you? And he, he pulled me in his office and he says, chaplain, great speech. That was great. That was really wonderful. You know, good job. And he says, an atheist could have given that. Hmm. And, you know, the point was like, you didn't give me anything spiritual. You didn't give me anything of yourself. You didn't give me any, anything of, of God and the Holy. And I need that from you. I need you to give me more. And so that was a, a huge moment in my life and my career of just like, you know, like, yeah, I'm trying to fit in, but I got to be who I'm called to be and who Christ has called me and he led me here. So I got to do it. You guys both went on a deployment and it, it was, 
obviously um, different different times, although around you kind of went around the same time, but different places. I'd just love for you to hear your just, just briefly because you guys you could each probably share hours and hours of that experience. I am the only one out of the three of us here who has not gone on a deployment. And I'm just curious, uh, what was what was that like? To, like? How long were you gone? Where'd you go? I know you can't disclose like every little detail, but but just some, and what were some high points, maybe even some challenges of, of that experience? Yeah, so I, we, um, I was deployed in 2020. Basically, I was put, you know, on orders, uh, mobilized for active duty on uh, January 2nd of 2020. And I returned boots on ground in uh, the United States at the end of uh, 2020, near November. Um, I was deployed to CENTCOM, which is the, the Middle East, and um, it was a long time. So there's a pre-mobile, and I'm sure it's the same with the, uh, the Air Force, but there's a pre-mobilization phase as well as a demobilization phase. And um, the pre-mobilization phase gets you all ready, uh, gets you all uh, medically cleared as well as trained up for the deployment. And then you spend, for, for the Army at least, you spend nine months minimum over overseas. And uh, yeah, it's, it's an incredible ride, <laughs> a lot to do and a lot to finish up uh, in that time, but very powerful, good ministry. And then you, then you demobilize and, and then you're back, back in civilian world, which is quite a shock sometimes. And you obviously you left and, and how did the church deal with the fact that you were gone that whole time? Yeah, we, we have such a, a wonderful team of, uh, of elders and we had spent several months preparing the church for the fact that nothing has changed as far as personnel. I'm still your pastor. It's just that I am in a slightly different season um, and we had a good interim pastor, uh, a good teaching pastor who who took over, and it was uh, it was almost sort of like I never left when I came back. But the other thing that was really a big impact was COVID. Um, so so that that was quite a challenge, and I'm sure you know I won't go on and on about that. But it's uh, it allowed me to pastor a little bit from a distance because essentially everyone was pastoring from a distance at that point. So I just had to record myself or sermons on Saturday night, upload them and send them over. And it was almost like I was, I was there. Yeah. It's different than it used to be because of technology. It's not like you disappear and you're gone for this period of time. And hopefully there might be a letter that comes in the mail that that's changed a lot. COVID's changed it even more. So Ethan, so your experience uh, that, cause that, that impacted you as well. Yeah, we were we just overlapped a little bit, and in fact, I remember you know getting ready and uh, and getting in touch with Michael and like you know asking him all these questions, you know what things to bring, you know do I need to bring shower shoes or you know all that kind of stuff, and so he was really helpful, you know just just kind of paving the way for me. But with the Air Force, mine was closer to six months, just a little bit more with some COVID um, quarantine and that kind of thing. But um, we were I was in the similar place, different country than he was, but Middle East. And uh, I was on the Air Force base, so uh, lodging was pretty good. <laughs> you know, food was good. Um, I did not have any snakes or rats in my in my area, Michael. Sorry about that. Uh, in fact, we had a few feral cats that would uh, uh, go after those things if they came. So, um, but it was you know it was a great experience. I was a I was a deputy chaplain 
So we had a team of eight and uh, we had a wing chaplain and then I was a deputy. So I was kind of between him and the others. And, you know, I'm kind of a director of operations, basically, and just keeping them, you know, focused and, and on track and going to the right places and all that kind of thing. And so great, great experience for me, just professionally, you know, um, uh, emotionally, um, relationally, all those kinds of things. But um, you're right, like you mentioned, just that it's different than the days of letters and, you know, one phone call a week. You know, I was able to video chat my family pretty much every day, um, you know, and we were just, it was a 12 hour time difference. So very easy to, you know, coordinate the schedules, you know, my morning and their night. And uh, even with the church, you know, yeah, I did a few Bible studies. I did a few men's breakfasts. I sent a few videos, you know, about once a month and that kind of thing. And just to kind of keep them engaged. I attended my small group almost every single week. You know, so I was still, and they were all doing Zoom, so it, it worked out really well. So it was all in all, it was such a fabulous experience. Um, don't know if I want to do it again, you know, at this point in my life, but I'm so happy that I did it. Yeah, and I don't want people to get the wrong idea. It, it I mean, it, it's a great tool to have Zoom and the ability to talk to someone, you know, live who's on the other side of the world. But you're you're still on the other side of the world. You are physically distanced from your family. You are dealing with people who are also away from their families and don't have don't have the skills, don't have the don't have the uh, most of them aren't you know they're not believers. They don't have any kind of they haven't figured out a lot of what makes life successful. So you're dealing you know you are it's the advantages you're able to have like your guys are saying you're able to have some of that. But you're also dealing with in high pressure situations too, oftentimes, right? It is. And yeah, you know, I was I was deployed during Thanksgiving, during Christmas, New Year's, you know, Valentine's Day, uh, Easter, even. I came right back back right after Easter. But you know, all those holidays are hard. You know, it's it's you're it's hard to be away from your family. And uh, you know, you're with a bunch of people that it's hard for them too. And so um it's it's always hard like how you um how do you minister to somebody else when you're feeling, you know, lonely or, or missing home too. And so, uh, it's, it's a real, it's a real struggle that you work through. Yeah. And you guys were away from your churches and, but you're still away on a regular basis because of drill weekends and that sort of thing. I think that's a huge barrier for a lot of, for a lot of people that might be thinking the other word they're, they're, they're pastoring full time, and the thought of doing this on, uh, you know, as a part time basis, or it's like, well, how am I going to get away from my church? Mike, what would you say about about that? And we've touched on it a little bit, but you know, you did the deployment, but now you've got you're you're, you're still on a regular basis. There's Sundays that you're not there. Absolutely. I mean, for for me, I knew that this was going to be the single biggest hurdle to uh, gaining buy in and and also maintaining relationships with people so that I could be their pastor still and not just some guy who went off on a, on a, an adventure or something like that. Um, so I, I'd say technology really augmented this, um, but old school letter writing. I, I wrote letters every single week to people. I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. Thank you so much for that kind gift. Um, I sent countless texts 
Um, I would uh, send out a weekly newsletter updating people and saying, hey, you've been praying for this particular soldier. I would never name them by name, but I would I would ask the soldier if they were in counseling, may I share this with my church with, you know, no knowledge of who you are and, and they have, you know, no idea exactly what's going on, but generically, can I share with them because they're a praying church? And I would report back to them on the progress that they were making. They felt like they were part of it. And I think that's vital. If the church feels like they're part of the, um, the, the experience, if they feel like they're the sending agency, so to speak, but also the sustaining agency, then there's more buy-in. And uh, I did, you know, a, a, a written newsletter. I also did, um, you know, a, a video each week because there was so much to talk about. And so uh, the technology really helped me take advantage of the fact that, hey, this is exciting. We're on the cusp of something. And what was neat is when I got back, there was one there was one gentleman in our church um, who said, you know, and this was back in, in 2019. He said, and so well before my deployment, he, he, he said, you know, I feel like <laughs> your real love is chaplaincy and you do the pastor thing to support your habit. And and uh you know, I, I thought, well, that's a, that's a good thing to be aware of um, because that could be the perception of people within this church. By the time I got home, though, he was so sold on what we had done and what I had done uh, through the church, really, and what God had uh, allowed me to participate in. He said, I, I really want you to write a book because this was such an incredible experience, you know, that, that I don't ever want you to forget it. And so I mentioned that story because he turned sort of from someone who was skeptical of it you know, hey, I lost my pastor to chaplaincy, to someone endorsing it. Hey, my pastor is a missionary to the most neglected demographic, a demographic that takes its life at a startling rate, a demographic that uh, has a astonishing rate of depression. That's my pastor. And, and I think that if it's a barrier for some people, they could realize, hey, it's it's it doesn't have to be that you're away from your church all the time. It could be that your church is aiding your ministry. That's powerful stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that, Michael. I think there's, uh, how do you get your church involved knowing that they're a part of this and having them celebrate some of these things without making it look like this is, you know, your your biggest interest in your, you know, the heartbeat of your life. Um, so there is a little bit of balance, but I do that. I try to do that and share like some stories, not all the time, but, you know, when appropriate. Um, but yeah, you know, you asked about like, you know, yeah, we're, we go once a month, we're drilling once a month, you know, at the base. And so we'll miss a Sunday. Uh, you know, fortunately, my command for me lets me do Friday and Saturday. Uh, sometimes I'll have to go in on a Sunday, but that's that's pretty rare. But when I do, I mean, it's it's just it's opportunity to remind the church that it's, it's not just one person like there's we are, you know, a kingdom of priests, we have a lot of gifted people, you know, so whether it's one of our, our younger uh, pastors stepping up to to preach, or, you know, be involved in the service somehow, or whatever, it gets it gets people um, out of that mindset of this all about one person, and uh, lets other people use their gifts too. So I think it's a good thing. Um, and uh, I think the church really benefits from it. But it is a hurdle, it, it is a hurdle to get over like, you know, how can I be gone on this week or whatever? But, you know, we, we're all in just, you know, none of us are indispensable. We can all be um, replaced and, and God can use a lot of different people to uh, minister to his, his bride. So one of the themes we've been talking about is, is, you know, Mike, you said earlier, putting your money where your mouth is. 
And I know that was that was kind of what was burning inside of me when I got in. And you're, you're kind of saying it too, Ethan. I mean, we talk a lot about leadership development and we talk about the fact that we are uh, we are expendable, you know, just like the movie the Expendables. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite movies. And uh, like when I'm old, I want to be like those guys, you know, but, but we don't really, we don't, our, our behavior has to match our, our act or our words, right. Our, it has to be backed up. And, and it's, I think it is hard though, because, because the culture is very used to the, the parish priest mentality. And like, this is our guy day in, day out. And I'm not saying that that's bad or wrong or anything, um, you know, a lot of churches have preaching teams. We that's what we had to do because I wasn't fortunate like you to have, you know, Friday and Saturday. I tried, but they wouldn't let me do it. So I had to go Saturday, Sunday, and um, so I just had to. It just forces you to build a, a leadership team. But I think it is. You're right. There's that. There. there it's you got to be careful because I, I I love the local church. I mean, you guys love the local church. That's that's like what you do. But the way I kind of put it too is like, look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna golf. You know, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to go have another, I'm not going to go on big fishing trips or whatever. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have vacations, but like, this is my thing. Like, this is my avocation. I mean, even though it's still kind of a vocation, but like, this is the thing that I do when I shut off ministry. I mean, I'm doing ministry in different companies, but the church ministry. And so, you know, like some guys may be going and spending hours a week, you know, doing this activity, that activity. Um, I'm just not going to do those things. And because I feel this call and this pull into the military. And it is a little bit different, obviously, because you're on the hook, you're getting paid. It's a job. So it's not like you can't just say, I'm not going to do this. But I think it's important that, that everybody understand like it. And that's kind of leads me to my next question though. What, what about this? Cause I think this is the part that we don't really, um, we don't see the other side of how has being, being a military chaplain serving in this capacity, how has it made you a better pastor? Uh, I think that's a long conversation. I mean, there's so many different ways. Uh, but one of the ways that I, I think is just, it's made me a better leader. Uh, I always think that the church, you know, they want their pastors to be leaders, but they don't really train them. You know, there's a book on servant leadership, which is great, but beyond servant leadership, we don't get a lot of training where in the military, they expect you to be a leader and they train you. So I've had fantastic like leadership classes. So SOS and uh, um, air command and staff classes and, and just all kinds of spiritual leadership classes. I've had so many different things that have really trained me or opened my eyes or have let me have these dialogues with other leaders on how to be a better leader. So um, there's just a great, you have a great culture of leadership development that I've totally benefited from. So it's, it's really helped with that. I, I mean, you know, even just, uh, like Michael was saying, there's our churches have a lot of veterans in it, and this is a way of connection that I didn't have before. You know, I, I didn't know anything about the military, so I didn't I didn't know what branch or what rank or you know what you experienced. But now we're having those conversations, and I can I can tell you who the veterans in our church are uh, because of this, and it's brought um, a deeper relationship for us. So. You know, those are just a couple ways. I'm, I'm sure there's lots more, but I'm, I'm sure Michael can throw some things out too. Well, and thank you. I mean, that's that, that's it, right? I mean, um, leadership. You you had mentioned that when we were dialoguing about this, and 
you know, um, I, I would also say in addition to leadership, um, I would say counseling. And uh, this is something that's just been so beneficial. Um, in addition to the uh, basic officer leadership course um, or BOLIC, the, the Army calls it, uh, there's also uh, training for each rank that you're in or each grade that you're in. So I just finished the training for uh, the captain eventually to promote to major uh, rank. And, and it's incredible what it exposes you to, these ideas, uh, not only, again, about leadership, but also about counseling. Um, I've also been able to take part in um, a, a whole uh, bunch of trainings on spiritual leadership and, and uh, moral uh, leadership. It's just been so incredible but that the Army, on the Army's dime, is, is saying, we want moral leaders. Um, part of Army doctrine uh, talks about holistic soldier wellness. And within holistic soldier wellness, of course, is PT and the ability to score high on tests uh, measuring your physical aptitude. And of course is, you know, uh, the ability to execute on tests as well as, you know, your, your basic soldier skills. But, but in addition to that, they, they refer to spiritual fitness. And, uh, so they, the, the, the army wants its chaplains to be good counselors. And it's so neat that I've been exposed to, um, months of counseling training as a result of this. But I'd also say, you know, being able to rub shoulders with incredible leaders, um, one of the things that I've learned, and, and I'm sure uh, you both can attest to this, is when I come to meetings, and, and we call them cubs or bubs, you know, where it's the, it's the commander's update brief or, you know, the uh, brigade or battalion update, update brief, when I come to those things, I'm not presenting problems, I'm presenting solutions, the commander knows there's problems. He doesn't need me to say, hey, you got a big issue on your hands and lean back in the chair, kind of looking contemplative and say, what are you going to do about it, sir? No, he wants for me to say, hey, sir, I've got three courses of action to this problem that you have. And this possibly is the way forward. But sir, I don't imagine to be in your spot. What do you think? And I'll execute on these things. That's such a an elegant way of going about it. And so when I came back from my training, when I came back from my deployment, my elders are going, wow, this has actually been good. You know, I, I, I actually see that there's some growth in this leadership stuff because, frankly, that's what we're taught to do. Well, I love it. Yeah, the, the COAs, you know, all of those. Yeah, you're teaching solutions. You know, what are some different solutions? And um, the other thing, too, like I've learned to think fast and and you you have to be ready. You know, you don't have a lot of time to prepare. And so for me, I've, I'm learning you just always are thinking in the back of your mind, like, how am I going to approach this? What am I going to say? What do I have ready? And um, all of those things, they come together. They're, they're great skill sets that, that the, we don't really have in the church, uh, even metrics, you know, military loves metrics. And, you know, how are you, you know, what are your numbers and all that? The church doesn't look at that other than attendance and offering, right? But um, it's taught me, how do we take some of those things from the military, put that in the church and in, in like, what are we looking at? How are we making disciples? How are, are people growing in their relationship? And so there's just so many different ways that all come together just to make us all better leaders and, and better pastors. So many pastors are... Obviously, if you're a lead pastor, you're the top of the heap and not that you don't have accountability or whatever, but you're used to being the center of attention. You're used to sitting at the end of the table. You're used to people showing up because you're preaching. You're used to being celebrated in a lot of ways. And that's not bad. None of that is bad. 
but one of the beautiful things about this role is that everybody has a boss, even up to the highest levels, right? Everybody has a boss, and and it helps you identify with the rest of the world who also has a boss. So we enjoy a lot of latitude as pastors. We enjoy a lot of a lot of autonomy, a lot of free time, and we enjoy a lot of attention. And you're in an environment where you have a rank, you have a uniform, and you know. Other than that, um, is is in terms of how you relate to the mission. Uh, if you're important, great. If you're not, you're not. And you know, you have to. There's times you have to kind of swallow your pride and say, uh, we all kind of look the same here, and these people way outrank me. And how do I see? It's it's about leadership, but it's also about followership. Exactly. Exactly. And I, you learned that really, really well that you are, you're leading, you're always leading somebody and you're following somebody just like discipleship and things like that. Right. Um, the chain of the chain of command, you know, uh, I don't, the church doesn't do that. We don't do that. Well, we just jump right to where we can get it done, but learning who the, you know, how you need to work through, you know, potentially sticky situations, um, you know, even in the church is those are essential things. You mentioned earlier about, um, the, the leadership development part, part and the thing that blew me away when I was at officer training school was was obviously you go there and they're you know they're kind of riding you pretty hard and then but then um, what, what ended up happening was they start turning everything over to you because they're like well you're gonna do all this stuff anyway and so you know watch us because in a week you're gonna be doing all these things we're not doing anything and it struck me about again, we same thing with evangelism. We talk so much about evangelism, but then how much does how much does it really happen? We talk so much about leadership development, but how intentional is it? And you actually are evaluated in the military by your ability to develop those who will come after you. We have no evaluation. I mean, I, that's a generalization, but in the church, that's just not really. No one really thinks about how am I developing my replacement. You're not evaluated by how you develop your replacement. You guard your position and hope you're in it for you know as long as you can live. That's not necessarily the biblical model either. So the you know that's what blew me away when the military has engineered in its system the fact that you're only here for a short time and you got to train someone else. What a wonderful point. Amen to that. Yeah. Speaking of that, what type, because part of the reason I'm, we're doing this podcast is I, I really want to put you guys on display and the amazing work that, that you guys are doing and the opportunities there are in chaplaincy that people don't realize and how it enhances your life. But the other thing is, if you're, if people are listening to this, then they're going, okay, well, does this apply to me? And let me ask you guys this. Well, you know, you 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 came from different places and had kind of different journeys getting into this. What kind of person do you think? If someone's out there, like, could I do that? What kind of person should think about being a military chaplain? Well, I would think, you know, I think Tim, you you might have pointed this out earlier. Someone with emotional intelligence, right? I mean, um, and let me back up actually. Someone who who loves who loves the Lord and who loves people. Uh, that's first and foremost. But there are some zealous people out there who who love the Lord and love people. There's no you know, sort of doubting that. But they don't quite have the emotional intelligence to be able to convey to people or or to process. Okay, so someone is disagreeing with me, but they don't that they don't hate me, you know, and, and so, or they don't hate, you know, what I stand for necessarily. They just, they just have a different view. And um, I think that 
one of the things that has been so instru- instrumental to me is that I can love someone and get along with someone who has a completely different faith or who has no faith at all. And it's been formative for me to be able to have these relationships so that I can sharpen and hone how I articulate my faith. But that goes back to your question, what kind of person would make a good military chaplain? I think someone who who loves the Lord and who has the emotional intelligence that Paul displayed when he would go and say, wow, I, I perceive men of Athens that you're godly. I mean, gosh, you even have statues to the unknown God. Now, he goes on to tell them who that unknown God is, but I love his approach there. He, he, he not only commends them, but, but he quotes from poets and, and Stoics and philosophers. And there's something about the fact that a, milita- a good military chaplain, at least from my perspective, has to be someone who can have an appreciation for someone simply because they're made in the image of God and not because they espouse the same beliefs that I espouse. Yeah, that's totally true. I love what you said, because you you are going to not you're going to be with people that are very different from you. You're you're going to you're going to be with um, people that are say, hey, I'm, I'm an atheist or I'm agnostic or um, chaplain. I love you, but I'm not I'm not you know, I don't have any belief or whatever. I mean, you're going to have people like that and you can um, say, oh, uh, OK, I'll stay away from you or you can engage them, you know, Um I've had, you know, I'd, I'd probably say some of my better friends in the military are, you know, more like that. You know, they would say they're agnostic or atheist, um, but there's like a certain respect that we have for each other and uh, a, a genuine friendship. They're not a, they're not a project, you know, like, oh, well, if you're not going to come to Christ, then I'm going to move on to somebody else. Um, they're friends. They become friends and, and being able to have friends that um, come from a different place, um, and being able to minister to them or love them no matter where they're at is pretty important. Um, even on your team, you may have, you know, other chaplains that, you know, are from a different faith or, um, you know, different uh, side of Christianity or whatever, and being able to work together. That is a challenge. I mean, it's tough. I've, I've had, I've had pretty good um, teams where they're pretty um, devout Christians. Um, but there's, there's certainly that, that possibility you're going to be stretched and how do you work with them? Can you work with them in a respectful and, and, um, you know, loving way? It's a challenge, but. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I, I think that well, again, part of the impetus behind this podcast is to make it known. And then also, and I mean, all kinds of people might be listening to this podcast. I'm of the conviction that we need more EFCA ordained chaplains and that not that there can't be other um, endorsing agencies like we talked about earlier that have similar beliefs but but uh, I, I just I, I love our I love our belief I love our doctrine and I love our ethos and I think that military chaplaincy fits so well you know it was interesting our last chief of chaplains for the Air Force he had like the most brilliant marketing strategy for the chaplaincy when he was when he was in uh, command of the chaplains and he basically would say to all the commanders, hey, listen, if we, his basic point, and I'm paraphrasing, was if we do our jobs well, you as a commander, you're going to get more of the behavior that you want and less of the behavior that you don't want. Because if there's DUIs and there's divorces and there's drug use and there's depression and all those kinds of things, that's going to impact 
the performance of the men and the women in your unit. And that's going to reflect on you. And you're going to get dinged for that. But it goes back to Michael's point about spiritual fitness. If if your unit is firing on all eight and and they're not they're not preoccupied with their massive personal problems, you're going to have people that are performing so well because not only are they doing their own job well, but going back to the emotional intelligence issue, they're learning how to to get along well with others in their unit, and you it it just makes a stronger force. It, it and and in a sense. Um, it does absolutely contribute to national security. It absolutely contributes to the overall mission of the military. And I, I just thought that message was brilliant. But 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 how do you get that behavior that those commanders want? Well, it just doesn't come from you know any type of of belief. It, it comes from the things that are contained in the gospel and being faithful to those things and being wise in how you how do you how you utilize and communicate those. And so, so for, so just to kind of, kind of close it out here then for, for someone who might go, you know what? Yeah, I think, I think I want to do that. Like, or I think I want to take the next step. Like, what would you, what would you say about, I mean, but they're, maybe they're worried. They're thinking, can I handle the stress of military life? Can I, you know, how would my church react? Like what, what advice would you give them? <laughs> I would say, yeah. I mean, if the Lord is, is put on your heart, I mean, I, I think you, you need to have some more conversations. Uh, you need to start talking with some people. I, when I started having these conversations, I thought just in my mind, like, Oh, people will tell me I'm crazy. And that'll end that, you know, end it right there. Uh, but my wife's like, you know, I think you should, I think you'd be good at it. You know, my father-in-law was, yeah, you should do it. My dad is, you know, giving me all, all thumbs up. And, you know, I'm looking, I was just, I was reading off people looking at other people who knew me and just seeing if, if that might, might, might be a good fit. And so, you know, talk to the people that know you, talk to your church and just see, and, you know, if it gets to that, that point, I mean, any of us, we can have that conversation. There's lots of people that could have those conversations with you and, and help you walk, walk through it. Um, I don't think any of us believe it's just, uh, uh, just something to do for a season. I think it's a calling. And um, if, you know, just true, even the pastoral calling that's confirmed by your church. And I think all of us have that story where we brought it to the, at some point, we brought it to the elders and the leaders and they all were behind it. They all confirmed that. And so, um, you know, I, I would say, talk to people, talk to the people that know you, that love you, talk to your church. And if your church has questions on what this looks like, that's when we can come in or, you know, Phil Wright, our endorser, any number of people can help uh, walk through that, that conversation and see if it, if it works for you. Well said. And, and I, I would add, you know, um, again, a biblical illusion that's ministered to me a lot through this deployment is, you know, your word is a lamp unto my feet. And, and I thought about that. I used to play football on Friday nights. So I always pictured, you know, that God was going to light up my path the way that the, the lights lit up the game on Friday night. And that's just completely false. He gives you enough light for the next step. And what I love so much about my friendship and, uh, you know, my mentoring by someone like Ethan is, you know, I said, I have, I have questions. I don't know if I should do this. And what was so great is, you know, we went out to breakfast, gosh, maybe two or three times and discussed what this would look like. What are the costs? What, what are, what, what is ministry like? What does drill look like? How do you, how do you manage the demands of chaplaincy with pastor, uh, with, with the pastoral ministry that you're involved in? And there's no harm in asking these questions. In fact, it's just, 
it's it's the greatest thing. So I would say if someone's if someone's thinking, okay, you know, Lord, you might be leading me in this direction. Well, hey, just get enough light for the next step. You don't need a floodlight. You don't need those Friday night lights. Um, take one step, and and you know, um, I would love to offer myself as a as a as a resource on the on the army side. And uh, I know that Ethan's already said, hey, come talk to us. Um, I just think it's such a privilege to be able to serve. And it's such a privilege to be able to put on a uniform where um, I have a cross and I get to represent Jesus and the gospel. And I, I and with you, uh, Tim, I want more people from the EFCA to represent Christ well in the Army and in the armed forces in general. Yeah, I think this is one of the best kept secrets out there. Um, not only just some of the benefits, you know, uh, whether financial insurance, schooling, stuff like that, there's a lot of benefits, but just the way to minister, um, you know, I'm, I, I need some chaplains. I, I need a couple of good lieutenants right now. And there, it is hard to find anybody. It is really, really hard. Most churches will say, oh, we love the military. We support, we want to do an outreach. We want to send some, you know, snacks overseas, but, um, you know, couldn't they take the next step and say, we're, we're going to send a missionary over here, um, you know, a youth pastor or a college pastor or outreach pastor or somebody like that. Man, I, I'm desperate for it. I would love to see that. I would love, I think EFCA makes great chaplains. So I would love to see um, a good number of people start having these conversations and see where the Lord leads. This is one of those times where I just feel like we could go on for hours about this. There's so much that I, that we didn't get to so much more. Both of your email contact information will be in the description on the podcast when we, when we upload it. So, so anyone listening can contact, uh, can contact Michael or Ethan and I'll have mine in there as well. Certainly Phil Wright with EFCA can answer your questions. He's our endorser. Um, and it, it's, I love it. It, it's perfect what what you guys said. I'm so grateful that you're with us, and th- it is. It's a calling. It's a journey, and we've all. You have that initial conversation where you go, everyone I talk to about this is going to think I'm crazy. So who's the first safe person I can talk to about this? And it may be one of the three of us. Um, go to these two guys. Call them and just say, hey, listen, I listen to the podcast. I, it's, I feel I feel it's just so weird asking you, but I think. I, and don't worry if it's not for you. It's not for you. What, that I think what Ethan is saying is we want. They, he needs chap. He needs doesn't need chap. Chaplains, he's good chaplains, right? He needs chaplains that are going to be able to feel called to this. Not, it's not just anybody, and so that's what's important. Hey, thank you so much, you guys. This was such a. It, it, I can't believe how fast the time flew here. We're going to talk about this again. This is going to be a recurring thing because part of the vision of EFCA West is to be able to see revival happen. Wherever our borders are, and certainly at places like March Air Reserve Base, Luke Air Force Base, where I'm at, different places, the opportunities are absolutely massive. They are they are right here, right now, for catalytic kind of kinds of men and women who are ready to jump in. So, don't forget all of our podcasts. You can listen to all of them on EFCA West podcast. You can go to our website uh, efcawest.org and make sure you sign up for our newsletter. We don't barrage you with too many things. Just a once a week, a uh, little update on what's going on because there's so many things happening in EFC West. It is hard to keep up, but hey, thank you for being with us. And until uh, next time, hang in there, stay strong and think about if God's calling you or someone you know into military chaplaincy. See ya.